I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 5 tonight. I want to talk just briefly uh, about prayer. And we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And prayer is often, if you talk to anybody or you've been in a Sunday school class, kind of the, the typical way we talk about prayer when you're teaching someone to pray is, it's just like a conversation, just like between two friends. And I think that that's a valid point and a good thing, but I think that it's often, it's also more than that. And I think that that's what I want to look at tonight, that prayer isn't just conversation. I believe it's more than that, that it is communion. And by communion, I'm not talking about the little cracker and the little uh, juice thing that we get when we do communion. By communion, I'm talking about that intimate connection between two individuals. And, and so it moves us from... Uh, just the conversation to something much deeper. It's this sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when that exchanges on a, a spiritual level. And communication moves us, or communion moves us, moves us from conversation into connection. And what we really want in prayer isn't just conversation, but we want connection with God. Amen. We want to commune with Him. And some of you, I'm sure you've had those moments, especially if you, you're married, where you get to talking uh, with your spouse about something and all of a sudden uh, you just get lost in the conversation, right? Or maybe you've got a friend that you go and you meet with and you hang out with them and they're the type of person when you're with them, two minutes, you think that you've just been there a couple minutes and all of a sudden you look up at the clock and you go, where has the time gone? We've just enjoyed this fellowship, this communion with one another. That's the idea that I want to get at tonight is that, that Jesus wants to have those moments with us that he wants us to commune with him. That He's calling us into fellowship with Him. That He's calling us to do more than just have a conversation, but He's calling us to really connect with Him and really, really abide in Him and really uh, have a deep and intimate relationship with Him. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin uh, in verse, uh, verse 5. But this is the Sermon on the Mount, just to give you a little background uh, material here. This is the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching. And Matthew has intentionally set this up to mirror uh, when Moses gets the Ten Commandments. So you get the idea, Moses gets the Ten Commandments. He climbs up the mountain in Exodus, right? And God speaks to him and gives him kind of the law and the playbook and the rules and the, the, the Word of God for the people of God, the people of Israel. So Moses goes up the mountain and receives the Word from God and it forms this new community, uh, Israel, the people of, of Israel. And Jesus is going to go up the mountain. Mo Matthew's going to use that language. He's going up the mountain and he's going to sit down. He's going to teach the people and he's forming a new community, the church. And so this is in a way, uh, if you want to know what the church or the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, you can just, you could read the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is going to lay this out. And so he's already been through the Beatitudes at this point, and then he, he begins to talk about a few things. He talks about giving, and he talks about fasting, and he talks about prayer. And when we get to this passage, he's already talked about giving and fasting, and he's, what he does is he's teaching it. He tells us how not to do it, and then he tells us how to do it. So he's going to do that here with prayer. He's going to talk about how not to pray, and then he's going to talk about how to pray. So let's dive in and read Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles or pagans do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I want to look at this passage tonight. This is a very famous passage, and I want us to talk about it a little bit and talk about prayer. So again, as I said, Jesus starts by teaching them how not to pray. And the first thing that he does is he tells his listeners not to pray like a hypocrite. Now, a hypocrite would be someone who's praying in order to impress others. They, they're praying maybe beautiful words, but the, the heart is not there behind them. They, they want to sound good in front of people. They want to look good in front of people. These would have been religious leaders. These would have been people who you would think maybe have it all together, but they can pray well, but really there's nothing there behind it. You ever met anyone like that that seemed on the outside to have it all together, and the more you got to know them, the more you realize there's this just a facade. There's just, that's all smoke and mirrors. There's really nothing there. And so Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites praying to impress others. And then he says this, don't pray like the pagans or the Gentiles. Now, what, what does he mean by that? What's the difference? Well, a hypocrite prays to impress others, and the pagan or the Gentile prays to impress God or the gods. So the, the pagan would think this, I have to pray this particular way, do it just right in order for God to respond. So think of it almost like prayer becomes almost like magic, where I've got a little spell book, and if I say the right words, the right way, the right amounts of time, then God is obligated to do what I ask Him to do. That's what a, a pagan would think. Like if I, if I go and I, and I do this just the right way, and I adjust this thing just the right, and I get the words just right, or the dance just right, or I burn just the right sacrifice, somehow if I get all the right pieces in order, then God's obligated to respond. And Jesus is going to say, don't pray like the hypocrites trying to impress others, and don't pray like the pagans thinking that somehow you're going to impress God. Because you see, when we come to prayer, sometimes I think that we, we get this idea that we have to perform for God. And prayer is, like, deep, real relationship is really the absence of that. Like, we don't have to perform. We come before God just as we are, not trying to impress the people around us, and not even trying to impress God. Listen, God is not impressed by us. He doesn't need us. He, he doesn't, we, we can't do anything to really impress Him. What impresses Him is when we bring ourselves to Him in trust and faith. That's it. So Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't, don't, act, don't try to impress other people. When you pray, don't think that you have to perform for God. Like He's like all these other gods, like somehow you have to go and you have to jump through all these hoops. When you pray, don't do those things. Instead, what He says is this. He says, go in and shut the door. He says, when you pray, shut the door. You know, the remedy to trying to impress others and the remedy to trying to perform is shut the door. To, to get alone, to be, to be with Jesus, just you and Him, and really just be present with Him. And the, some of us think that we have to have it all together, that we have to pray in such a way, again, that impresses people, or that God is somehow impressed by it. And Jesus says, no, instead of doing all of that, when you pray, Go in your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father in secret. 
And sometimes we read these passages like this and we think, well, that means we shouldn't pray very long or that means that we shouldn't uh, pray in front of people. Like, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying, though, is that our heart attitude has got to be right. And the remedy for the problems in public is to get along with Jesus in private. Like that, that private life with him, that intimate time with him is the foundation. I remember as a kid, my parents were pastors and... Uh, they would often have people over and they would have to counsel them and talk to them about things. And you knew that the conversation was getting like real when they asked the kids like, okay, kids, you've got to go to your room and play. And they make us go to our room and play. You know, if we had people over at the house and you have to shut the door. Why? Because there was about to be a deep conversation was about to happen. And they didn't need little ears, you know, hearing everything that was being said. And when deep conversation is about to happen, Oftentimes, we'll pull people in, right? We'll shut the door. We'll kind of get a little quieter. We'll lean in a little bit more. And the same is true with Jesus. When we have that deep conversation, that intimate time with Him, we shut that door and we get alone with Him. And that's what Jesus is saying. What is He telling us to shut the door on? Well, He's telling these people in this context to shut the door on pride and hypocrisy. That it's so easy to think that we've got it all together and to become prideful and again to be uh, hypocritical and pray like we've got it all together and to, to be an actor and to, be a, uh, to perform for others. And Jesus is saying when we pray, it's not about playing to the crowd. It's about, it's about being alone with Jesus. And listen, we like to throw stones at hypocrites, right? We, people say all the time, I can't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. But the truth is, if we're not careful, you and I can all begin to play to the crowd or begin to act one way and then not have that solid foundation with Jesus. And what Jesus is really wants is for us to be with him, to shut that door, to get alone with him. I, I like watching, uh, anybody else like watching HGTV sometimes? Every once in a while, yeah. And so there's shows on there, right, where they're flipping houses and they, and they always, like, I know, that, I think they plan this stuff, I think it's staged, right? But there's always like a problem, something big. So they get in there and they flip the house and they'll be like, hey, we just found out like your, you know, your foundation is not like permitted correctly. So we've got to go like take everything out and rebuild the whole thing. And they start digging around and they start discovering that there's problems and maybe they bought a house and they thought that the house was solid and they start to look and they begin to discover, hey, this thing's not really got the foundation that's really supposed to be there. And they have to put in a lot of extra work and a lot of extra energy and a lot of extra time. And the truth is, if they had done the job right the first time, they wouldn't have to do all of that. And the same is true in our lives, right? When we, don't, when we fail to go shut the door and get along with Jesus and be with Him in that secret place, man, all of a sudden, like, that's our foundation. And when we don't have that foundation, no matter how good things look on the outside, man, we end up having to spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of effort to prop up something. And Jesus just wants us to have that solid foundation with Him. And so He's calling us to that. He calls us to shut that door on pride and hypocrisy. He wants us to spend time with Him in private. Spending time with Him in private is what helps us in the, the public to be who we say that we are and to be that, that solid a man or woman of God. So we shut the door on that. And then he, I believe we have to shut the door on the distractions. Yeah. Listen, we live in a world where we have, uh, the distractions abound. And again, in this contact context, the distractions are other people, right? Um, we're praying, these people are praying and they're, they're watching what other people think of them. But in our context, what's, what is it that distracts you when you go to get alone with Jesus? 
It could be people. It could also be your phone, Netflix, uh, family. Like there's all sorts of things. Uh, uh, your your the worries, cares of this world. Like all sorts of things. Like we live in a world full of distractions. You don't have to go two feet to find something to distract you. And we can be so distracted that we forget to spend that time alone with Jesus. See, everyone wants our attention and they want it now, right now, right? The, the world has shifted. Used to, uh, you know, you could, you could text somebody or call somebody and maybe they didn't call back for a little while. And, you know, all right. Now it's like people text you and they want like now. You don't respond back like they send in the police after you. Like, what happened to you? Like, dude, it's only been 10 minutes. It's all right. Calm down. Right? But we get, we get worked up. And we get worried. No, they're not contacting me back. And so there's all this distraction and all this expectation to respond to people and, and be in the know and know all this information. And we got information and we've got all this uh, stuff coming at us at our senses. And man, it's so easy to just go into overload and forget and neglect our time with Jesus. And Jesus is calling us to shut the door on those distractions. There are plenty of things that could take priority in our lives, but we only get 24 hours in a day. And you say, well, I don't have time. Well, the truth is we all get 24 hours in a day. So I would encourage you, if you're not making time to be alone with Jesus, what Jesus is saying here, when you pray, shut the door and get alone with your Father who's in heaven. You, you've got to make time in your life. I've got to make time in my life to shut the door and get along with Him, to push out, the, to turn off the phone, to turn off the distractions, to get along with Jesus. And you say, ah, I, don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't have the, you know, my life is crazy, I've got kids, and I've got all, I've got, you know, all these things going. I want to encourage you, sometimes we think that we have to do it kind of all in one shot, right? So we think, okay, I've got to get up, and I've got to spend three hours in prayer every morning, or I'm like not spiritual, right? Maybe you think that, I don't know. But instead of, instead of doing that, what if, what if you just scattered your time of prayer throughout the day? What if, what if you spent 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes at lunchtime and 15 minutes in the evening, right? What does the psalmist say that in evening, morning, and noon, like he spends time with God and he lays his complaint and his prayer before God? So what if you did that? You realize if you did 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes at lunch and 15 minutes in the evening, that's 45 minutes a day. I, I would bet that most uh, American Christians aren't spending 45 minutes a day with Jesus. Just a guess. But if, and, it, and you say, well, you can find 15 minutes. Like, this is 15 minutes. If you can't find 15, start with five. Do, do five in the morning and five at lunch and five, and then, you spend, and then work your way up to it. And spend five minutes just in His presence, just sitting with them, and maybe five minutes taking your needs, and maybe five minutes you read through a scripture. Like, it's not complicated, but the truth of the matter is we just have to make time to shut the door and get along with Jesus. And we make all the excuses, but the truth of the matter is, like, we do what's important to us. And so, re really, I have to ask the question, are we really, is, he, is it like, God, is spending time with Jesus really important to us? We have to ask that. If we're not, if we're not willing to shut the door on the distractions and get along with Jesus, is, is he really important to us? Because he's calling us to move beyond just conversation and just beyond sort of going to church and just beyond sort of the motions. He's calling us to intimate fellowship and relationship with him. So we've got to shut the door on the hypocrisy and shut the door on the distractions. And what happens is this, is that 
that Jesus begins to work in our lives and He begins to change us and He begins to transform us. And what happens is this, is when we start shutting the door and getting along with Jesus on a regular basis, we start to change and we end up, we end up start, starting to look, and maybe you're here, maybe you're at this point. When we start to spend time with Jesus, generally two things happen. Either we start to change or we start spending less time with Jesus. Because what happens is that the longer you spend time with Jesus and the more you get to know Him, the more He goes, I need to change this area of your life. And sometimes, let's just be honest, we go, I'm not quite sure I'm ready to change that area, and all of a sudden we start to draw back. And spending that time with Jesus, what it does is we have to learn to just say, yes, Lord, whatever it is you want. Yeah, yeah that area needs changing. Yes, I'll change that. And some of us in this room, you say, well, I've, I've tried prayer, and it's just not... And I would ask you this, and I'm not, this is not throwing any stones or accusing you of anything, but I would say examine your heart. Where is it that he's asked you to do something and maybe you haven't done it? And maybe that sort of stalled out your relationship with him. Like, wh where is it that you haven't maybe forgiven someone? Where is it that maybe you haven't worked through something and maybe you're stalled out and you need to, you need to work through that and instead of working through it, you sort of ran from it, right? We, we have a bad habit of trying to avoid things when that makes us uncomfortable. And I get it, like I'm, I'm human. But in order to sort of move forward, sometimes we've got to allow Jesus to deal with that thing. And so we shut the door on the distractions, and we shut the door on the hypocrisy, and we get along with Jesus and we say, okay, Jesus, here I am. Please deal with these things in my life. Help me. Help me. And so prayer, again, Jesus is going to say what it's not. He's saying it's not performance. It's not acting. It's not trying to perform for other people or perform for God. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not those things. And in order to avoid that, what we have to do is we have to shut the door and get alone with, with our Father. But what is it that we do when we're alone with Him? And Jesus is going to lay that out in our next, in our next uh, few points. One author uh, just sums all of this up so well. He says this, Jesus dismisses at a stroke the unusual prayers of the experts in the Jewish law and the elaborately theatrical models of the pagan Gentile world. There's no need for pretentious displays, Jesus insists. Prayer shouldn't be calculated to impress, whether to seek the attention of God or of people. Why? Because God doesn't need our prayer. In effect, Jesus says God isn't looking to have his arm twisted, or he's not looking to be bargained with or manipulated. He doesn't uh, require a flawless recitation of certain phrases. Jesus is saying this, and we're going to get into this. God is your Father, and He's already disposed favorably towards you. Let's say that again. God is your Father, and He's already, he's, His love is already towards you. He already loves you. And you may say, well, I've got stuff, and maybe He's mad about that. Well, maybe, but he, he, that doesn't change the fact that He loves you. Like, he, he's calling you to, to be with Him. And he'll, like, he'll, he'll deal with the stuff that's in your life, but He's calling you to be with Him, that He's, he's calling you to, be, to, to, to remember that He's your Father. And so Jesus moves into this idea, and He starts with this, our Father, our Father. Prayer starts by remembering that God is present with us as this Father, that He's close to us. The word here is the term Daddy, that it's personal. He's our Father. He's not some impersonal force running the world. He's not some being who doesn't care about you. He is our Father God. Our Father God. You know, and sometimes you may say, well, 
my dad was, was imperfect and like he abused me or maybe, maybe there's all sorts of things, ideas that come into your head when you think of your dad. And I would say this, you know, like that is horrific and maybe it should have it never happened. But I would say this, that God is not a man. That God, God is not a human being. That he, he is above all of that. And, I, and please don't take your uh, picture that you have of your earthly father and put it on God. That God is not a human being, that He is not like you and He's not like me. That God is perfect and He loves you deeply. And nothing you can do will ever change how much He loves you. And he's, He is a good, good Father. The, the perfect Heavenly Father we call Daddy, we must remember that it, He loves us in ways and is a Father in ways that our earthly Father will never be, no matter how good your dad is. And we can do the opposite too, right? Our dad can be such a, a great father that we take that image and we project it on God. But the truth is, that's not good enough for God either. Like we have to be careful when we take human beings and our relationships with them and we begin to equate them to God because God is so far beyond and so much better and so much more beautiful than any relationship you'll ever have. And so we must remember that God is not a human being. He's not like you or like me. But God is our Father. And this is unique in Christianity, right? The most religions of the world are not going to think about a God who's close to them and who loves them and who is with them. And, I, and I, maybe if you don't get anything else tonight, I just want to remind you that you have a loving, heavenly Father who just wants to be with you. Like, he loves you. Like right where you are. I, the, the more I am in this thing and the more I follow Jesus the more that I'm convinced that the foundation of everything is just remembering how deeply He loves me. Like, love changes things. And when we realize that we're loved, it changes the game. I re and I, I really think this like sums up what, what God is doing, is that He loves us, and He's waiting for us to love Him in return. And if we will respond to His love and love Him in return, that we will begin to rearrange our life around that love. And we will find that the things that we struggle with, the things that uh, we, the habits, the, the relational issues, like all of that starts to change because we start to respond to this, the fact that He loves us. Like I think we overcomplicate things. And I think we just need to remember, like just remembering on a daily basis how deeply Jesus loves you. That's it. How much, I mean, how much would that change us? How much would that change us? And if we would say, I just want to live my entire life just saying, I love you too. I love you too. Yes. And, I, and then I'm not just saying that with my mouth, but I'm going to arrange my life in a way that reflects that. Because when I say, I love you too, then I don't want to do things that bother him. I don't want to do things that, that, that would cause our relationship to be in jeopardy. I don't, want to, I don't want to participate in things I used to participate in. I don't want to go to places I used to go. I start to understand that he loves me and I love him too. And because of that, I've got to change some things. Some things have to adjust. But I do it because he loves me so much. And I, and I want to be captivated by that love. And we, we have to remember that, that we serve a heavenly father who's not up there yelling at us and he's not up there uh, you know there's listen God's going to judge sin and he will judge sin, judge sin in our lives but I, I believe that he does that because he loves us Amen. because he loves us and we got to hold those things together in the right way and if we don't if we've got this picture of a God who's just screaming and yelling at you and angry with you and you better keep it in line that is not the God of the Bible that's not the God who comes to us in Jesus 
It's a God who says this, even when you were sinners, I still loved you. Even when you were my enemies, I still loved you. Even when you were under my anger and my wrath, I still loved you. And when we start to sit with that for a minute and realize we serve this Father who loves us, man, how much would it change us? But the, the prayer goes on to say this, not just our Father, it is our Father who is in heaven. So lest we get confused and think that he's just some good old guy who's just a, kind of a pushover, no, he's right here with us, but he's in heaven and he's in control of everything. So we don't pray just to a God who's just our Father. We pray to a God who's our Father in heaven, who sits on the throne, who's in control. We, we want, I laugh sometimes, at, uh, even at myself, we want God to speak to us, and I think that's good, and I think he needs to, but have you ever read in the Old Testament some of the Psalms what happens when God speaks? Like, the Lord speaks and the mountains shake like, this is not someone to be played with. This is not someone to not be reverent with. This is not someone to, uh, we have to realize that there is a, like, we, he's called us to be holy. This is not someone to, to mess around with. He speaks and his voice shakes the earth. And we're like, oh, I want God to speak to me. But yeah, when he speaks, his voice shakes the earth. He's powerful and he's in control. And there is nothing that, that gets by him. And there's nothing that's going to thwart him or cause him issue. Like he is and was and always will be on the throne and in control. And so we pray not only to this God who's close to us as a father, but we pray to a God who's in control. And I don't know about you, but that makes me, like that gives me a great sense of peace. Because there is no situation in your life or my life that God is not able to work in, to move in. Amen. Like if he was just in control and he wasn't a father, I would be worried because uh, maybe he gets, you know, maybe he goes crazy one day. But it, and if he was just a father and not in control, then he's just a good, loving God who can't really do much. But because he loves me and he is my father and he is in control, I can rest knowing that he's working everything out for my good for your good. And I don't know what situation you're facing or what it is that you're going through, but I know this, that God loves you and he's with you and he's present and he loves you and he's, he's always there, but he's also very much powerful and very much in control. And whatever it is you're worried about, you can give it to him and say, God, you are a good God. You are my father, but you are in heaven. And then it goes on to, to remind us, again, go on to remind us that we are to worship him says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That this isn't just, again, some God who's just playing around, but he's on the throne and he's worthy of our worship. And this God is calling us to commune with him, calling us to connection with him. And then, then it, the prayer goes on to say this, this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And notice this is the first thing that Jesus emphasizes in prayer after we get through sort of this introduction. That prayer is about getting God's will done, not getting your will done. Let's say that again. Prayer is about getting God's will done, not your will done. It doesn't say, my will be done. It says, your will be done. The Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes we think that prayer is like this. My wife and I went to... Uh, 
we went on a mission trip to Alaska several years ago, and uh, Grant Bell went with us and some other kids from the church, and we went to North Pole, Alaska. Cool place, if you've never been, take a trip. Uh, and so we went to Santa's workshop, so to speak, right? The real, and it is the place where if you write a letter to Santa and you say, North Pole, it's the place where all the letters go, okay? And so they, were, they had in this, this back room, like all the letters on the wall from all the kids, you know, Dear Santa, I want a pony for Christmas, or whatever it is that these kids wrote about. And you go back there and you can see on the wall all these letters. And again, some of us think that God prayer is like that. Like it's just the time for me to take my needs to God. And so we just, we have this long list of like, dear God, you know, I need this and I bless that and take care of that. And it's just this long list of needs. And we almost treat God again like Santa, like let's crawl up in his lap and tell him what we want for Christmas and he's going to take care of it. But that's not what prayer is. Prayer is not about getting your will done. It's about getting God's will done. It's not about getting what you want from God. It's really about what God getting what he wants from you. From you. And what's, what he's doing here is this, is, is we can pray for needs, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but prayer is about God getting through to you and not you getting through to God. It's about his will being done in your life and in my life and in the world. And notice this. This is concerned not just about the personal, but also about the communal. This prayer is not prayed in the singular. It's prayed in the plural. This, this is about us. It's not just about me. There's no I in this prayer. It's not there. This is all about the kingdom of God. Notice throughout the prayer the, words of the, the use of the words us and our. There is no I, there is no me in this prayer. This does not mean we should not pray for our needs. It just means it's not about you. Again, we want to make it all about us. It's not about you. Although this prayer is often prayed in, in private, it's not simply a prayer concerning the one who is praying. I want to remind you, even private prayer is an act of community. Let's say that again. Even private prayer is an act of community. You say, well, how so? Well, let's imagine that we were on a basketball team and we're going to train for the Olympics. And we got, let's say, five of us are on the team and uh, I'm on the team with you and let's say we all go work out, but you don't realize that when I'm not with you practicing, I'm over at like, um, I don't know, like Applebee's, like binging on all sorts of bad, terrible food. I'm staying up all night watching movies. I'm not getting the rest that I need. I'm doing none of those things, right? I'm doing that in private, but you can imagine that when I hit the court, what happens? The whole team is affected. That even what I'm doing over here is affecting what happens over here. And sometimes we think that it's our private prayer life is just about us. It's never just about you. Even the private is an act of community. And we're only as strong as our weakest link. And we, it is an act of love, not just for God and for ourselves, but for others when we are in right relationship with Jesus. So we have to remember that this, even our private prayer is an act of community that God only knows the impact your prayers make on this church as a whole. I'm going to say that again. God only knows the impact that your... You may say, well, I, I just pray and I don't know. Listen, your prayers in private make an impact in the public life of this church. Man, keep praying. Keep seeking God. Keep moving forward. Don't feel like what you're doing is a waste of time. You may not see it on the outside, but it's never a waste of time to be with Jesus. 
as God's will is done in your life and in my life, it begins to spread around the world and the kingdom of God begins to come. His will is done. And the kingdom of God is not simply a future thing. It is here, not fully, but it is here and it is working in the world. And Jesus told us to pray that, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life and in, in, in the world and around the world as it is in heaven. And prayer is one of the main ways God gets his will done in your life. And if His will is not being done in your life, then you need to check your prayer life. And your private prayer life matters not just to you, but to us. Your private prayer life doesn't just matter for you, it matters for us as well. And so then Jesus says this, He says, Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then He moves into requests. And He says, Give us, forgive us, and lead us, and deliver us. And I want to just close by talking about these things. Jesus moves now to prayer regarding our needs. But again, notice what the prayer is not singular. It is plural. It's plural. I just, I just want you to get that. This is, this is not about you. It is about us. And he, he says first, give us this day our daily bread. Now I've got a, um, a four-year-old son. And my little girl's name, most of you know, her name is Bailey. And so when we start praying... Uh, for our, our meal, we say, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Well, he thought we were saying, give us this day our Bailey bread, right? So he gets upset and says, why aren't we praying for my bread too, right? And so the, the thing of the matter is, right, again, we can be that way. It's all about us. Why aren't we? But Jesus calls us here to pray for, to give us the food that we need. It's not wrong to pray for our wants, but notice here, give us this day our daily bread. It's not about praying for a want, it's about praying for God provide what we need. And again, it's not wrong to pray for what we want, but the priority here is to pray God take care of our needs. God meet our needs. God provide, provide the source that we need to make it through the day. That's what he's praying here. God give us the source, give us the sustenance we need to make it through the day. And then he says this, forgive us our de debts, forgive us our sins. You see, we screw up and we mess up, but God is gracious and forgiving. And what he does is he forgives us and he wants us to extend that forgiveness to others. Because we pray, God, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, those who, who have sinned against us. God, please, Lord, help us to do those things. You see, there are people that are going to do things tomorrow that are going to hurt you and that you're going to have to forgive them for. And, you're, like you, and you need the strength that comes from Jesus in order to do that. You see, we can choose to be angry or bitter, or we can choose forgiveness. And then he says this, the prayer goes on to this, lead us. You see, there are places tomorrow and tonight that, that the world will want to lead you into temptation and into sin and into all sorts of things. We, we, we wage war against the world and the flesh and the devil every single day, and they want to attack you and lead you in all sorts of directions. And this prayer says this, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Lead us in the right way, Lord. Lord, lead us and help us. And then he, he closes with this, to deliver us from evil. You see, the world is full of temptation and trouble, and we need rescue. And so as he prays for the needs, he begins with the, the things we need. Lord, give us what we need to get through the day. Give us the sustenance we need. Give us the bread. Lord, help us to forgive. Forgive us and forgive others. Lord, lead us in the right direction. And Lord, when we are out there on our own and we don't have the strength, Lord, deliver us. That, that's what Jesus teaches them to pray. 
And what he wants to do is he wants to draw us into communion with him in order to pray and remember that God is our Father who's close to us, but he's powerful. And we're praying not to get our will done, but we're praying that God's will would be done in our lives and in the world. And then as we pray that, we begin to say, okay, God, this is where I am today. This is what I need. Here's where I've got to forgive others. Here's where I need to forgive. Here's where I need your forgiveness. Lord, would you provide? Would you lead? Would you guide? Would you deliver? And as we begin to do this and pray in this way, this isn't, uh, while this is a good prayer to recite, what Jesus was giving was not something that had to be repeated. What he's given them is a template. This is how you pray. You enter into my presence remembering I'm a good father. You, you, you remember that it's not about you, but it is about, it is about my will being done and my kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. You, you, you remember that, that you need forgiveness and you need to offer forgiveness. You remember that I take care of your needs. You remember that I'm the one who leads you. You remember that I'm the one who's going to guide you and deliver you. And it becomes this template for when we shut that door and we get alone with Jesus, and we start to pray like this, and we start to commune with Him, and He starts to speak to us, and we start to speak to Him, and our life starts to be transformed. That, that's, that's what He's calling us to. And I, I don't know where you are or what's going on in your life, but I do know this. You, no matter where you find yourself, it's never a bad idea to shut the door and get along with Jesus. And if you don't have a habit of doing that, I would encourage you, make the time. <laughs>